Good morning. Jesus Christ is love, and He loves even me. As we sang earlier, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He would give His only Son to make a wretch's treasure. You know, the great songs, like the great books, tend to reflect great truths. I heard someone tell a joke a while back, a real-life experience. A man said that he bought his daughter an iPod for Christmas. This was probably some years ago. And she opened it up and she said, Daddy, you got the wrong one. This one only holds 25,000 songs. And he said, Honey, there only been about 80 great songs ever written. You don't need 25,000. I don't know how many great songs are ever written, but I think we sang a couple of them today. Because they reflect that the timeless truths, and many times we're quoting from the timeless great book that we have, the Word of God, which you've already heard, read, and expounded upon so eloquently this morning. I appreciate the introduction, brother. There's a great temptation as you were uh, speaking there to let my mind become absorbed in that and forget what I was going to try to say. And I almost did, but pray uh, for me this morning that I didn't completely uh, let it all go. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians, the first chapter. We'll begin reading in the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. And draw your attention back to the fourth and the sixth verses here, this concept of love. And looking at these things that the Lord has done for us, why? Because of His great love. The great love wherewith He loved us. If we think about the love of God and how deep the Father's love was and how that Christ loved even me, it behooves us, I think, to try to separate in our minds the feeble types of love that we as human beings are able to express and to try to look at the true agape love that we're reading here about, which is a type of love We read about in the Scripture that is not just a wishful love or a desire. It is a love that accomplishes. Now, we have some of that love in us having been born again by the power of His Holy Spirit. Because Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 lists fruit of the Spirit, that ninefold fruit. And what we read there is uh, love is the first thing mentioned there, agape love. But again, that's not the kind of love... um, that I necessarily have maybe for my wife in a natural way. 
the love between a man and a woman or the love that a parent would have for their child or the brotherly love that we have. Now, we may have some agape love mixed in that as children of God, but the kind of love we're reading about here is not a feeble love. It is a love that God has for His children and that love reaches out and does things, accomplishes things. And Brother Hugh read to us the account of Mary being told that she would bear the Christ child. And she said, the Lord hath done to me these great things. You know, I think the words of the Scripture speak for themselves sometimes in understanding the humility of a young lady who could get a message like that. And, and perhaps in her mind, she started to understand that this is a great thing, but this is also going to be a hard thing. She probably suffered derision. Bringing a child into the world involves... No doubt pain. I've, I haven't had one myself, but <clears throat> my wife's had seven. And so I've been with her through that and, and, and seen how these things go, you know, as an onlooker and as someone who loves her and know that there's pain involved with that. There is some suffering involved with that. But she looked at the sovereignty of God and could have the humility to understand that the Lord had done this to her. And that's a good thing. Brothers and sisters, when we read this, that he's chosen us, that he's redeemed us that He has made known to us. okay, And we understand that God did these things without our consent. I submit to you this morning that that is a good thing. And that the Lord before the foundation of the world could look at humanity and could see were there any that would seek after God? Were there were any that would love Him? And look at us really before Adam even fell and to see that no, <laughs> we would all choose something else. So He chose us. That's the kind of love that God has. But unlike, you know, Neil Honey making a choice and being powerless to bring that to fruition many times, you know, when God makes a choice, as our brothers already told us, when God says something shall be in the sovereignty of God, brothers and sisters, it shall be. <laughs> I may not live to see it come to pass, but it's going to happen. The Lord will bring it to fruition. So as we, as we look at the love here, we see there are several things specifically that He has done for us because of His great love and to make us accepted in the Beloved. And verse 7 tells us we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Why would He send His only begotten Son to come and die the death that He died, as little of it as we understand. It was because of the love that He had for us. That great love. And why was it necessary <laughs> that Christ come in the flesh and die? <laughs> you know, we had a Father in a natural sense. Um, the first man that God made, which I believe God literally made Adam. I don't believe that Adam is just a you know, as some sort of medical, metaphysical representation of a human concept. Adam was literally flesh and blood, a man. And God gave Adam one law to obey, he and his wife, and that was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One law. And what do they do? <laughs> it's like, they're like, you know, sometimes you, the, 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 what you see with little children. You know, it's it, the, the one thing you tell them they can't have is the one thing they think they got to have, you know. And I'd like to think as we get older, we grow out of that. I'm not sure that we do. I think we just get better at controlling it. <laughs> but hopefully, 
But, you know, that's just human nature sometimes is we want what we can't have. And I don't know what all went through their minds. I know that that Satan was there and the, the father of lies and he's encouraging deception. God has given them absolute truth, intrinsic truth, telling them that this is your garden. This is the place to live. I will have fellowship with you. Do not do this one thing. And they reach out and take it. And again, I don't believe that that fruit is just a metaphysical representation of a human failure either. I believe it literally was a piece of fruit. I really believe that it was. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what it tasted like. But God said, leave it alone. And taking that, again, was not some metaphysical representation of a bad human act. They literally did it. And it was an act of rebellion against God. And so that's what we see when we get to the New Testament in Philippians, that he being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God. But what did he do? He humbled himself and took on the fashion of a man and of a servant and became obedient to death, even to the death of a cross, because they literally rebelled. And so Christ came and literally obeyed. They rebelled against life and against fellowship with God and against the blessings of having an eternity to spend with Him in a garden where things were good and people didn't hurt. And there was no shame and there was no crime and there was no war and there was none of the turmoil of life. And they, I don't know that they understood all that or that they could have because they didn't know evil at that point. But they chose to. And now we see all that. We see the death that came through rebellion. I hope this morning that in the love of God and in examining that, we could see the blessings of life that came through obedience. Because as an Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Who was represented in Adam? Every human being that ever lived. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't have an earthly father, but all the rest of us did. Am I right? Every single one of us were in Adam. Well, who all is in Christ? Well, I don't know the exact number, but I know they were placed there by God. First Corinthians chapter one tells us that is of him that you're in Christ Jesus. Second Timothy tells me the foundation of God stands sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his revelation, chapter five, revelation, chapter seven. Tell me that that multitude that will be praising him there before his throne someday is a number that no man can number. But God has numbered. I don't know the percentage. I don't know the number, but I know that every one of them is secure in Christ. Because their sins died in Christ that day on the cross. So we redeem not with corruptible things such as silver and gold from the vain conversation or vain lifestyle or vain nature received from our father, specifically Adam and then all the way down. But we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we have his love in, in redemption. And then we read here in verse nine that it was made known unto us. And brother, Hugh already mentioned that this morning. I'm so glad he did. That, that we've been taught in our hearts. Hebrews chapter 8 tells us that no man would need to teach his neighbor, <laughs> for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. How do you know him? Well, Christ is the author and finisher of your faith. He wrote faith in your heart when you were born again. Authors write things. He gave you faith to be able to understand who he is, to have an inner knowledge and an inner working of a conscience. Romans chapter 2 tells us the Gentiles who did not have the law, but did by nature the things contained in the law were a law unto themselves. In other words, when, when the Spirit of God came into their heart, when God sovereignly sent it before they heard the gospel, whether they had the law or not, they had His law. And so they produced some spiritual fruit to His glory. 
Now, hey, it's a blessing also to have His Word and the written Word and the preaching of the Gospel because it helps to perfect that. All Scriptures given of inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, not flawless, but well-rounded, centered in what God wants us to do. And Paul said that. Not to be ashamed, he said, of me and of my bonds, but to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Why? Because it was through the gospel that the Lord brought life and immortality to light. So He taught us in our hearts with His Spirit. But I agree with our dear brother this morning. I hope that we are as thankful as we can be that He has also, because of His great love, taught us through the Gospel and given us His Gospel church and the Gospel kingdom where we can come and we can understand and we can hear and we can know these things. Because just as that fruit in the garden, I'll declare you this morning, was a true piece of fruit of some kind. It had a taste, a form, a substance. It was something that Eve could reach out and take a bite of and then turn to her husband with her and give it to him. And he takes it too. The forbidden fruit that is out there for you today in the world is just as real and just as tangible and just as deadly as that piece of fruit was back then. And the Gospel tells you what those are. They are primarily counterfeits of the good things that God has given us. What is the counterfeit to a godly marriage and fulfillment in that? Fornication, adultery, pornography, right? It's a counterfeit. It's not the good thing God made, but if you're not careful and you don't know better, it might look like the good thing, but you take of it and something will die. It might not physically kill you, but it can kill a relationship. It can destroy a family. It can destroy your mind. It can degrade you. It can leave you in a position of having no uh, moral uh, collateral left for those around you. And there's many examples. I think you would all agree with me. I'll go through all those today because I know you're all good Christian people and, and you know that already. But understand that, that that's what it is. You reach out and take that today. Boom. Something will die. And of course, the wages of sin is death, ultimately, eternally, but for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are also things that can die now if we're not really careful. You know, there was that one fruit over there in Eden that, that they were told to leave alone. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of trees out there right now with a lots of different fruits that can potentially, for you, experientially here in time, have a very similar outcome if you indulge yourself. So where He's made known these things to us, that is also of His love and of His good pleasure. And then also we read in verse 10 that in, in time, He would gather together in one all things in Christ. In Christ. So all that are in Christ, all that were in Christ when He died, all that were represented there in Christ, they're going to all be together with Him someday. Now, these are just some aspects of His love that we can look at on a superficial level. And I wish that, I, I truly wish this morning, I wish I had the mind and the tongue to truly extol to you the beauty of the love of Christ. But I don't because I'm a human being. And because there are limits to my love, there are limits to my description of my love and certainly 
limits to my description of God's love. But I tell you, I think there are some ways that we can sometimes help to put it in perspective. In other words, to say, Lord, I see through a glass darkly, but because of your grace, I do see and I see that you love me. And I see that I was chosen before the foundation of the world, which I'm, I'm, I'm an absolute worm and don't deserve it. <laughs> but I see it. And I'm so thankful that I see it. What should my response be? Because as I said, if you've been born again, you have the love of Christ in you, in His Spirit. And you have the mind of Christ. Why is the preaching of the cross of them that perish foolishness? 1 Corinthians 1.18. Because they're perishing. But to those that have been given the Spirit of God, that have been given spiritual life, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Okay? The Jews seek a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks' foolishness. Don't be surprised if the love of Christ, as it is a mystery to the world, will be foolishness to the world. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, it is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ in the church, speaking of the relationship between a husband and a wife, that a, that a husband through uh, self-sacrificing love would lay down his life for his wife, and his wife would lay down her life for him in a sense of respecting him, following him as we follow Christ. He says that's a mystery. You know, I was listening to a psychologist the other night, and I thought he explained it very well. He said, you know, one reason that, that kids will bully other kids that are different from them is because they're a mystery. And he said, what is your response to a mystery? You poke at it, right? You laugh at it. You make fun of it to see if you can draw it out. Should, should it surprise us that the world would do that to Christians? If they, if they laugh at what you believe? You know, maybe sometimes they're also children of God and they don't understand what you understand. And so they laugh at it. They poke at it. They try to, to, to get at it. That shouldn't surprise us. But because we have agape love in us, it's incumbent upon us, although we will never fully understand the love of Christ, in this life we really can't attain unto it or really appreciate it like we ought to, we're duty-bound, I believe, to at least to the extent that grace will allow to express it ourselves. In 1 John chapter 4, we read this. First John chapter 4, verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. So where should my response to the agape love of Christ begin? I would say it should begin with me expressing love toward Christ. But remember, agape love is not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. If I say, oh, I love God. I love Jesus but I never come to His house. I never open up His book, which has been preserved through the centuries by the grace of God. And many men died before the 1611 version to try to have these verses translated into English where we could read them. This book is brought to us not just by the grace of God, although that's the greatest thing, but it's brought to us by fire and blood and fear and bloodshed. 
and prayers of thousands of people over the years. If I say, I love Jesus, but I'm never in His house. His praises are never on my lips. I never open His book to see what He said about how He desires to be loved. Oh my. Am I expressing agape love? Or is it lip service? How will my wife feel if I, if I just swung by the house about every six months and patted her on the back and said, I love you, and walked back out, and that's all she ever saw of me? That wouldn't be much love, would it? <laughs> no. She might lock me out. But it, would, it wouldn't show that I truly love her. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. Again, if I love my brother with agape love, and I love my sister with agape love, I won't do him any harm. But I think I like to be around him. I think I would desire the assembly of the saints because I have agape love. The same kind of love, although much lesser degree, and it's in me, so it's not going to be perfect. But, but I have that, and so I, I'm expressing that to my brothers and sisters. But in regards to how I express it toward God, I'll follow His commandments as best I can. The Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But also, in my life, I would look and see what is it that in me, in this life, and I'm not talking about eternity now, but in this life, what, what do I have in me? And what do I carry around that is separating me from true fellowship with Him? What are, what are my hang-ups? What are my issues? Do I look at the truth of the Scripture and see it as being truth and seeing Jesus as being truth incarnate and seeing His Word as being the, act, the definition of right and wrong. Some people pull up their fist and rail at God, and I don't like that, and I don't think God's right, and they, they forget or they never understood that God just defines what is right. Neil Honey doesn't. I hope Neil Honey can line up with it to some extent in this life, but I don't define it. If there's something going on in the world that is uh, antagonistic to the Word of God, it's just antagonistic to the Word of God. I need to line up with the truth of God's Word. In closing here, let's look at one example in Matthew chapter 14 of, of someone who did this and, and who didn't maybe understand everything about who Jesus was. I, I preached on this a while back. I don't think I preached it to any of you, but um, I tried to preach on this and tried to get to the bottom of this passage of Scripture, and I don't think I have because I'm not sure I have this kind of faith, although I ask that the Lord would help my unbelief every day. But in, uh, in Matthew, the 15th chapter, the 21st verse, Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him. Now notice she came to him. The Lord said in John, the 6th chapter, no man can come unto me except the Father sent me. Draw him. Okay? And we're all drawn in the new birth. We're all lifted up in the new birth. We're all uh, drawn uh, when the Lord comes back and we're resurrected or we're called up. That there will be that will be under none of our own power. That is under the power of God. But there is a sense in which to the born again child of God, the Lord says, follow me. Luke chapter 9 says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And so here's someone who comes out to follow him. 
And she cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then, she came, then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Even though she probably feels disregarded. And even though she probably feels maybe like uh, the Lord is not paying her the attention that He ought. Maybe she says, hey, my daughter's over here sick. And by the way, when you come to the Lord crying to Him and pleading to Him, you know, there's, there's something especially touching to me about someone doing that on the behalf of someone else. Because this woman is not thinking about herself. She's not thinking about what she looks like. She's not thinking about whether or not she's being humiliated. She's got agape love toward her daughter and all she can see is her good and Lord, I need you to help her. And she said, Lord, help me. But he answered, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. How would you feel if somebody called you a dog? Does that, does that lift you up? I mean, does that make you feel good? Even in a society where we worship our dogs, God forgive us. It doesn't make us feel good to be called a dog, an animal that eats dead carrion on the side of the road. It's, 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 it's terrible. In a natural sense, brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. We are. We're just like dogs. We go back to our sin over and over and over. Our breath stinks. In our nature, this woman is a Canaanite. She's descended from Noah's son, Ham. She's on the wrong side of the lineage. She can trace her lineage probably all the way back to Noah, but it's the, it's the bad side of the, of the crowd. She's a Greek by nature. The Greeks are the ones that seek after wisdom. They're not seeking after the Lord and they're not seeking after His cross. She's a Syrophoenician, a woman of a wealthy nation, a bunch of covetous people. She's not a Jew. In nature, she is a dog. And you know what? She knows it. And I would say to you, if you have the love of God in your heart, and it would help us if we could look at ourselves and really see ourselves. I'm not trying to put you down today or beat you up. I know you didn't come to church to get beaten up. But to see the love of Christ for what it truly is, you need to see what is in you. And you need to see that when I look in the mirror, I may have my hair combed, but I know what's going on down in here and I know what proceeds forth out of the, my heart sometimes, the fleshy side of my heart that, that I still struggle with. And, and the Lord mentions it here in, in the 15th chapter. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. That's what we are by nature. But you know what this woman says? She's not offended by the truth. She professes the truth. Truth, Lord, at the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. But I'll also say this, if the child of God, if they see themselves as they are, they'll be around the table looking for what He's got for them. And no matter what He says to you in your spirit, no matter what He convicts you of, no matter how you see yourself, when you look in the mirror of the law and through the gaze of the Spirit, no matter how low you look or how low you feel, you'll simply say, Truth, Lord, thank you for loving me. I hope I can follow you in a small way and show back some of that agape love that you gave me. Thank you for your time.